Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. Before we get into today's topic, I've got one final plug for you for an event we've got coming up soon here at All Saints. Uh, Friday and Saturday, the 12th and 13th of November, we have the privilege and pleasure of welcoming Dr. Peter Lightheart of the Theopolis Institute to All Saints to speak for two days on the subject, What is Creation? He will be leading a series of uh, lectures and seminars and conversations uh, with plenty of time for discussion and fellowship and for meeting him and meeting other attendees uh, over two days, along with um, uh, a pattern of worship throughout the day following the Theopolis way of doing things. You can read all about um, Peter Lightheart at the Theopolis Institute. Uh, just uh, search Theopolis Institute in Birmingham, Alabama. If you want a book, and I encourage you to do so, uh, please book a place uh, at allsaintskirk.com. We've got something like 40 or 50 people already signed up, but there is still space for more, and it would be great to have as many people there as possible. If you've never read anything by Peter Lightheart, you have to come along to this gig. If you can make it at all, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, if you have read stuff by him, then he needs no further recommendation from me. And I expect if you can come, you're already signed up and it will be great to see you there. Okay, commercial out of the way. We are working our way through John Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion. This particular little section uh, in book three, chapters six through ten, uh, which is a treatise, treatise on the life of the Christian man. And today, uh, this might just take a, a little bit less time than normal. Uh, we're at the end of chapter seven where Calvin is talking about self-denial, and here he's speaking about how self-denial affects the way that we relate to the living God. So just a couple of uh, quick heads up about um, what he's going to be talking about in in this section and how it will bear practical implications towards us. Uh, What he's got to say here has implications in two different directions. The first is to counter a kind of worldly pragmatism which seeks to better our worldly circumstances in terms of wealth and influence and comfort and ease and so on by whatever works. And Calvin is dead set against that. And in these uh, sections uh, right here, uh, he will show us why and how a proper approach to thinking about self-denial will guard us against that and will actually place us in a position where we experience more of God's blessing in every aspect of our lives and not less. That's the first thing he's going to be thinking about. Uh, The second is um, the flip side of that, which is that, uh, truth be told, uh, sometimes or perhaps even often in God's providence, uh, even for those who uh, walk faithfully in the path of the living God life, or rather God in his providence, throws the odd curveball at us and uh, we're beset with trying and difficult and painful circumstances. This is all but inevitable in a world that even after the work of Christ is still marred by death and suffering and uh, unforeseen pain and heartache. Uh, And a proper attitude to self-denial will help us to deal with both of these things. In other words, how to strive for a life which is uh, uh, comfortable in the right sense and in which our suffering is minimized. And then what to do, secondly, when in God's providence, Uh, we do experience suffering. Self-denial in our relationship with God is the key to both these things. So with that uh, brief introduction, uh, let's just jump straight in. I'm going to be looking from sections 8 through 10 of chapter 7. As usual, I'll just read a few paragraphs uh, here and there and a few sentences, give you a sense of the flow of it, and then make some comments, uh, and then we'll be done. Okay, so section 8. Let us reiterate in fuller form, Calvin says, the chief part of self-denial, which, as we have said, 
looks to God. You'll recognize that from uh, previous sections. Self-denial is not about, as I've said a number of times before, denying yourself chocolate through Lent or uh, other forms of trivial uh, worldly asceticism. It's a denial of the priority that we so naturally place upon ourselves and an affirmation of the priority we ought to place upon others in sections three through seven and the living God, sections eight through ten. Indeed, many things have been said about this already that it will be superfluous to repeat, so Calvin's not going to repeat them, but there's still some more to talk about. And in particular, he says, uh, to begin with, then, in seeking either the convenience or the tranquility of the present life, Scripture calls us to resign ourselves and all our possessions to the Lord's will and to yield to him the desires of our hearts to be tamed and subjugated. Calvin is here recognizing that we all want good things. Uh, and indeed, he's going to say later, we ought by no means to desire what makes men more miserable. And yet there is a problem, isn't there? If what we desire is just good things and we're willing to sacrifice anything and everything to get those good things, then we're going to end up compromising somewhere along the line. And that's where um, Calvin speaks against that kind of worldly pragmatism in what follows. Here's how he goes. To covet wealth and honours, to strive for authority, to heap up riches, to gather together all these follies which seem to make for magnificent magnificence and pomp, our lust is mad, our desire boundless. On the other hand, wonderful is our fear, wonderful our hatred of poverty, lowly birth and humble condition. He's really uh, detailing the natural tendencies which lie within each of us. And we are spurred to rid ourselves of these, lowliness, humble birth, humble condition, poverty and so on, by every means. And that's where the problem is. It's not the striving for relative ease or seeking to earn money or trying to make your house and your life and your family and everything else more comfortable. It's the striving for these by every means. And it's this that causes the problem. So how do we deal with this? I mean, isn't the truth right that all of us, all else being equal, would like to have a degree of security? Think about financial security. Anybody want financial insecurity? Just all else being equal? Anybody else want a leaky roof that's going to cost you thousands of pounds to fix? Anybody else want pain and heartache? Anybody else want difficulty? None of us wants these things. And the question is, how then are we to attain them? Or perhaps more precisely, how are we to give ourselves a chance of attaining them without compromising faithfulness to the living God? In order not to be caught in such snares, Calvin says, godly men must hold to this path. First of all, let them neither desire nor hope for nor contemplate any other way of prospering than by the Lord's blessing. Here's the crucial thing. All of these things which it is in and of themselves a good thing to desire are gifts of God. We need to ingrain the providence of God on the practicalities of our lives and bring our recognition of God's providence together with uh, our thinking about how we make ethical and lifestyle decisions. And all of those good things which we strive for and which we are right to want in and of themselves are themselves blessings from God. Now, just parenthetically, of course, it would be possible to covet in an ungodly way. And that itself would be to step outside the bounds of 
what um, uh, Calvin is commending to us here. That's not to seek for the Lord's blessing. But uh, insofar as these are good things, they're things which God in his kindness gives as blessings to those to whom he gives them. He'll say um, uh, similar things again uh, at the end of that section, end of section eight. But as he begins section nine, um, uh, it's important just to keep that picture in mind. Here's how he goes. Therefore, suppose we believe that every means towards prosperous and desirable outcome rests upon the blessing of God alone, and that when this is absent, all sorts of misery and calamity dog us. What would we do if that's what we really believed? Before we go any further, it's worth just asking yourself that question. Do you actually believe that every good thing which you might receive in this life as well as the next is a gift of God? It's God being kind to you. If you get a pay rise, if you live in a nice house, if you have a nice car to drive, if you have nice clothes to wear, if you have money in your pocket and food on your table, if you have a nice vacation to look forward to, if you have friends and family around you, do you really believe that those things are gifts of God? His gracious blessings to you. If you don't believe that, then there's no point in going any further. And I know we all believe that, or we all ought to be able to say we believe that. We all ought to actually believe that um, on paper. Here's where the rubber hits the road. If you believe it in practice, this is what you're going to do next. Still um, in section nine. Who can hope, Calvin says, for the help of a divine blessing amidst frauds, robberies, and other wicked arts. For as that blessing follows only him who thinks purely and acts rightly, thus it calls back from cro crooked thoughts and wicked actions all those who seek it. Then will a bridle be put on us that we may not burn with an immoderate desire to grow rich or ambitiously pant after honours, because that wouldn't be the godliness that he's speaking of here. The that would be more like the wicked arts that he's speaking against. The point he's making, of course, is that if all the good things, the good material, physical, tangible in this life blessings that we could ever hope for are blessings of God, we cannot consistently imagine that we will ever receive any of them without pursuing godliness at the same time. Now, of course, it's true that sometimes the wicked prosper. We'll get to that in a second. But Insofar as we are convinced that it is God alone who is the source of every good thing, we cannot imagine that in uh, God's economy, the path that we should take towards seeking those gifts from him is a path which he has forbidden. And he'll make that explicit immediately. Now, uh, read the bottom of page 699. For with what shamelessness does a man trust that he will be helped by God to obtain those things which he desires contrary to God's word. Again, more explicitly. Away with the thought that God would abet with his blessing what he curses with his mouth. To sum up, he who rests solely upon the blessing of God, that's you and me now, if we're convinced that all these good things come from him as gifts from him. He who rests solely upon the blessing of God after as it has been here expressed, will neither strive with evil arts after those things which men customarily madly seek after, which he realises will not profit him, nor will he, if things go well, give credit to himself or even to his diligence or industry or fortune. Rather, he will give God the credit 
as its author. To put it more simply, because Calvin has this way with long sentences, right? They're well worth reflecting on because they're rich and deep. But to put it simply, if you think that God is a source of every good thing, you're not going to take the path of sin to try and get them. Why would you think that God would bless in his providence that which he has spoken against in his word? And so we must be ready to cast aside all of the worldly pragmatic considerations that from time to time we've got to confess do make us think you know is the path of righteousness really the best way every time we have been tempted by some supposed pragmatic but ungodly shortcut towards the good life in whatever form we have been tempted to disregard this we have been tempted to imagine that god would bless that which he has cursed with his mouth And a right attitude towards self-denial will never take us there. What we'll be be convinced about, rather, is that the way to the blessing that every sane man and woman in the universe would want is first and foremost, and beginning, middle and end, to seek to be faithful to the living God. And then if we receive it, not to give credit to our own diligence or industry or fortune, but to give credit to God as its author. You see, if it's all from God and all a gift from him as a manifestation of his kindness towards us, then that's the one to whom we're going to give credit for it. So that really is um, the first strand that he's talking about here. Um, An attack on the worldly pragmatism that would encourage us to compromise in all kinds of different ways and to imagine that the way to uh, obtain God's blessings to break God's law just ain't the case. So what about this other strand of um, what I indicated Calvin's addressing here? What about the kind of situations where we find ourselves, again, within that same God's kind providence, suffering in one way or another? And in this, uh, this is a subject that Calvin turns to in just the last section here, because it turns out that the same attitude of self denial in that deep and rich sense that he's expanding in this chapter is the solution here as well for godly minds he says section 10 the peace and forbearance we have spoken of ought not to rest solely in this point but it ought also to be extended to every occurrence to which the present life is subject therefore he alone has truly denied sorry he alone has duly denied himself who has so totally resign himself to the Lord that he permits every part of his life to be governed by God's will. He who will be thus composed in mind, whatever happens, will not consider himself miserable nor complain of his lot with ill will towards God. And Calvin then goes on to talk about the different uh, painful circumstances which were perhaps more common in this form in uh, 16th century Geneva than in 21st century uh, America. But Uh, Here's the kind of thing he has in mind. Various diseases repeatedly trouble us. Now plague rages. Maybe it isn't so distant from our experience after all. Now we are cruelly beset by the calamities of war. Now ice and hail consuming the year's expectation lead to barrenness, which reduces us to poverty. Wife, parents, children, neighbors are snatched away by death. Our house is burned with fire. It is on account of these occurrences that men curse their life, loathe the day of their birth, abominate heaven and the light of day, rail against God, And as they are eloquent in blasphemy, accuse him of injustice and cruelty. You can see here the few allusions to the book of Job. Not that Job did those things, but loathe the day of my birth, that kind of thing. But in these matters, 
okay, what's the solution to all this? You, you have the, the painful circumstance in which you know at some point you're going to be faced with all those things or some modern equivalent that Calvin is talking about. What's the solution? But in these matters, Calvin says, the believer must do what? Also look to God's kindness and truly fatherly indulgence. And here follows a remarkable section, which when you realize Calvin is intending to be taken seriously here, when you uh, realize the extent to which he intends us to take seriously the responsibility to thank God for his providence. Here's how he continues. If he sees his house reduced to solitude by the removal of his kinsfolk, that is the death of his family, will he not indeed even then cease to bless, sorry, he will not, he will not indeed even then cease to bless the Lord, but rather will turn his attention to this thought. Nevertheless, the grace of the Lord which dwells in my house will not leave it desolate. Or if his crops are blasted by frost or destroyed by ice or beaten down with hail and he sees famine threatening, yet he will not despair or bear a grudge against God, but will remain firm in this trust. We are in the Lord's protection, sheep brought up in his pastures, Psalm 79 and 78. His point is that the Lord will supply our needs as he sees fit in wealth and poverty, in health and in sickness, in life and in death. And the right attitude to God's providence will recognize this too. This is what is meant by self-denial. You see, self-denial is not um, a, a limited uh, attitude to a small subset of our decisions where we uh, hold back from what we really wanted and do something we sort of didn't want and imagine we're denying ourselves. It's rather the absolute and unconditional uh, sub self-subjection to the will of God, whether whether it's the, the will of God in his word as scripture expresses it, so that we're going to just do what he says and not expect blessing any other way, the first point, or whether it's subjection to the will of God in the sense of his sovereign will, the acceptance of the circumstances, the cheerful and thankful acceptance of the circumstances which God in his wisdom sets before us. In short, he continues, Whatever happens, because he will know it ordained of God, he will undergo it with a peaceful and grateful mind, so as not obstinately to resist the command of him into whose power he once for all surrendered himself and his every possession. That, in one sense, is a nice summary of what he means by self-denial. To surrender into God's power himself and his every possession is the sort of thing which is perhaps familiar to us from uh, biographies of missionaries in which um, sometimes the the actual relinquishment of personal possessions takes a concrete form calvin wants us to recognize that this the the same disposition that drives those wonderful testimonies is self-denial, which must characterize all of this, is what Jesus commanded of his disciples in Mark 8 and all those parallel passages, that he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And deny himself is what this chapter is all about. Take up his cross is what the next chapter, chapter 8, is all about. And I recommend it to you. I'm going to be picking up that um, in the next uh, episode. 
Um, and again, just as we conclude, let me encourage you, if you've never read Calvin, and perhaps particularly if this uh, brief uh, survey of what he's been teaching in these chapters so far uh, is intriguing to you, I encourage you to get hold of a copy. Uh, it's not a cheap book, but then decent books never are. Uh, but this is one that will last a lifetime and repay a lifetime study. And so I encourage you to grab a hold of it. And in the meantime, uh, the Lord bless you and bye for now.